0: Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, so much for, what a, for a beautiful Sabbath day. And, Lord, already um, your spirit is working, I know, on my heart even more, forever learning, Lord. I pray that you will use Duane and I as we seek to uh, share the principles uh, you have in your word. And um, I ask that the, hear- the hearers will be open to receive the counsel that you would have them to know. Be with us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Be with all the speakers, in Jesus' name, amen.
1: Amen. All right. all right.
0: All right. So, let's start. Okay, if we could turn our Bibles to Matthew 24. And Matthew you, 24.
1: And you definitely want to make sure you have your Bibles, and of course, take good notes as well as we go through this session together.
0: Okay. Matthew 24, we're going to look at verses 37 and 38. Are we all there? Okay, I'm going to start reading. Matthew 24, verse 37 and 38. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, They were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. So what do we see in this text, essentially? What we're seeing is that in the days of Noah, there's things about the past in the antediluvian times that we're going to see today. And based off of the emphasis of our weekend, what is our focus based off of the text? It's a question. I need an answer. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Based off of the emphasis of our weekend, what do you think is our focus in the text?
1: What is it that sticks out to you? Mm -hmm. you As the days of Noah were, in verse 38, he he describes what the days of Noah were like. What in that description would you say is applicable to our meeting? Okay. Okay, they were marrying and giving in marriage. Yes, very good. Very good.
0: And so you would think, what's wrong with marriage? Is there something wrong with marriage? Is marriage a beautiful thing? The way God designed it, it was. At the beginning, that was the institution that he, he, he placed in the Garden of Eden, mm-hmm. is marriage. So we're going to go back. We're going to go, actually, at the beginning of the Bible to Genesis 6. If you can turn to me to, with me to Genesis 6, and we're going to look at verses 1 and 2.
1: And the reason we're going there is because Jesus just said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be. And in the days of Noah, they were marrying and giving in marriage. So now we're going to look at the marriage institution in the days of Noah to see, well, what was the disconnect? So we're going to look for that right Mm -hmm. now as we go through Genesis 6.
0: Okay. Are we all there? And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they choose. So the first point we can establish here is the fact that there was marriage back in the days of Noah. But how do we make the connection in prophecy? Because this is something in Matthew 24 that God said we have to look for. So something creeped in, something happened to the marriage covenant. And if you look at verse 2, we could see... Well, actually, let's go to verse 11, 11 and 12, and we're going to answer that question before we go back to verse 2. Genesis 6, verse 11 and 12. And the Bible says, The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. Can a corrupt man and woman have a holy marriage? No, so the marriage was corrupt. And so when you consider Matthew 24, this is the emphasis when he said, when the Bible says marriage and giving in marriage, this was the context of what he was talking about. The fact that the marriages were corrupt back then, okay? So people got married in Noah's days and we're going to look at the quote, Testimonies to the Church, Volume 4, Well, actually,
1: before we do it, Mm -hmm. let's consider this. So what are some things we see in Genesis 6? Mm -hmm. If you're looking at Genesis 6 in verse 1, right, the first thing that it says is that sons of God were marrying daughters of men, all right? Now, if you go back to Genesis 5, you will see why that term or those terms are very significant. In the Bible, there's some, you know, religions and what have you that believe the sons of God were angels. Well, we have to cancel that because Matthew chapter 22 says angels don't marry, so in Matthew, the 22nd chapter, angels don't marry. Angels do not get married. But these sons of God did get married. Sons of God were children of God. They were those who were following the teachings and the ways of God. So the daughters of men were obviously the contrast to the sons of God. In other words, there was unequally yoked taking place in Genesis 6. There were those who were the sons of God, the followers of God, but they're marrying the daughters of men. There was an unequally yoked foundation of foundation. Number two, why did those guys marry those girls? It says they saw that they were fair. So that means that the marriage was not based on anything deep. It was based on surface externals. They were just like, she's really pretty. The sisters were like, he's really good looking. And they allowed surface reasons to bring them together in marriage. A lot of people are getting married today based on physical attraction. Then the point number three in verse two. It says, they took them wives of whom they chose. In scripture, God was the one that would choose the wife for the husband. That's what we learn in the Eden model. The parent was the one that would approve the person that is about to be married. But these guys, they chose what they wanted without any parental counsel or consultation. And as a result of that, that threefold formula is ultimately what brought corruption in the marriage covenant. As a result of being unequally yoked, as a result of being focused on externals, and as a result of not following God's plan on how to approach the subject of marriage, it ultimately produced a scenario or an environment that now, when corruption came in the world, the marriages were also corrupt. So as Alexandra just said, when we consider this quote here, this quote is very important. you got to move over just a little bit. Why don't you go ahead and read that for us?
0: There is not one marriage in 100 that results happily that bears the sanction of God and places the parties in a position better to glorify him.
1: Very good. So notice this. Not one marriage in how many? Not one marriage in 100 that results happily that bears the sanction of God and places the parties in a position better to glorify him. So, Alexandra, can you speak to these points here from what's coming out in the quote? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, the Lord was showing us some powerful information. So let's go ahead and let's share that with them. Mm
0: -hmm. Okay, so we're dealing with happy. Um, The issues are, you know, how many of us can really say, well, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, of course, but, you know, Duane and I, as we work together and we counsel, we we see a lot of issues with married couples. And that is the one thing is they're not happy. Even though they come to church and they appear happy when we speak to them on a personal level, we see there's a lot of issues, okay? And the second thing is it bears the sanction of God. Most people get married for the wrong reasons as my husband just talked about. Um, Looking at externals or, you know, um, for various reasons and they feel, even though they see the issues, at the beginning, they try to say, okay, we'll fix it or we'll take care of it in the by and by. And sometimes these issues never go away. That's right. Okay? And the third, it was supposed to glorify him. You know, um, we got to consider what a lot of people, don't, they don't even understand what giving glory to God is. So we, a lot of couples, they start off wrong. I know my husband and I, when we consider what we know today, we didn't start off the correct way so we had to learn the hard way and by the grace of God we could say Mm -hmm. that through learning this experience that we're much better and this is why you know on May 27th Mm -hmm. we're going to renew our vows because there's a lot of things that we didn't know before that we know now and God is just showing us more and more as we you know draw closer to him but that's not the case for some couples they start off wrong and they end up having divorces and it could have worked out. Mm
1: -hmm. And this is the point, you know, what we want to do is have like, what I would call real talk with you, you know, just really getting straight up real about it and and being honest. Um, We understand that there's a sacred circle in every family. Mm -hmm. So it's not for us to take, you know, the very details of what happens in our home and put it out before the masses. But there are principles in the word of God that my wife and I can honestly look back at and say, you know what, we didn't follow that too carefully. And as a result of not following it carefully, it brought some pain. It brought some challenges. And therefore, the Lord has taught us now, and this is why it's an absolute privilege to really do this, because it's kind of like for those of you who are preparing to get married or what have you, or maybe you're married and you're at a stump where you're not realizing, you know, how do we get through this? Hopefully, there'll be something that we can share. We're not your model. We know that God is our model, okay? But we're grateful that we can impart some information that can help us see it think of the contrast of these three that we just heard. Not one marriage in 100 that results happily. Why is it that they don't result happily? Look at the reasons again. Mm -hmm. That bears the sanction of God. Another word of sanction is approval. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of us that consistently violate what God says and think that we'll get away with it. And God wants us to understand that, listen, sooner or later, you're going to have to come face to face with your decisions. And so What we want are marriages that sanctions, that God can sanction, that God can approve. In addition to that, it says it places the parties in a position better to glorify God. Whenever you get a chance, you read Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 32, and the Bible makes it clear that the great purpose of marriage is to reflect the relationship that God has with his people. This is how marriages are to glorify God. Husbands who love their wives as Christ loved the church, wives who reverence their husbands as the church is to reverence Christ. The world needs to see a picture of what the gospel looks like, and God wanted our homes to be that model. And so again, when we think about marriage, this is what God was saying. Now, when we don't have his sanction, when we do not glorify him, we are guaranteed not to have marriages that result happily. We're not going to be happy. After all the sex is through and everything, because that's why a lot of people get married— You know, once they can get those thrills out, they're going to realize, wait a minute, I'm stuck with this person. And I got to find out, do I really like them? Do I really want to be with them? And for a lot of people, it's a rude awakening. It's like after all the thrills are quote-unquote gone, now you got to deal with the personality that you've covenanted to be with till death do you part. And so God wants to spare us a lot of those pains because there's some statistics Mm -hmm. that, you know, we need to go over right now because there's some issues going on. There's a lot of, as my wife said, Divorces and all these things taking place, or some of us are live in divorce, we never write the paper, but we live and act like it with one another. And that was not God's plan for you, and it's not his plan for us for sure. So one of the things that God wanted us to do was understand something from a root standpoint.
0: Proverbs 26, verse 2, and it says, as the bird by wandering, as the swallow by flying, so the curse causeless shall not come. So, we have to ascertain the cause, and in ascertaining the cause, we find the cure. Mm-hmm. So
1: so when we talk about mm-hmm. divorce, what are some of the causes for divorce? This is right. one of the key ones. And this is information, um, marriage.com, they kind of get a whole bunch of counselors and other folks who work in you know, marriage and work with marriage counseling, and they kind of tell you, just from a secular standpoint, what are the reasons why there's so much divorce happening in our world. We're we're getting out of what? One in five marriages end in divorce. That's a pretty high statistic. So here goes some of the reasons why. Honey, if you can read that.
0: Yes. Infidelity. Extramarital affairs are responsible for the breakdown of most marriages that end in divorce. The reason why people cheat aren't as cut and dry as our anger may lead us to believe. Anger and resentment are common underlying reasons for cheating, along with differences in sexual appetite and lack of emotional intimacy. Infidelity often begins as a seemingly innocent friendship says cheating expert ruth houston it starts as an emotional affair which later becomes a physical affair
1: one of the sad realities and i can look back and my wife and i can remember this is that when we were getting counseling we actually got counseling so that's that's point number one is that the word of god lets us know that it is appropriate at times to get counseling and marriage is definitely one of those areas okay in the multitude of counselors there truly is safety Now, one area that a lot of times you do not get counseling on is on sexual relations. Mm -hmm. They don't talk about it. It's like that taboo thing still. Or you get these people who talk about sexual relations, but they're very perverted. And I've seen this. We've we've seen this where, you know, Mm -hmm. sometimes churches will hold events And, you know, and and they'll say, hey, hot, sizzling sex, come and learn about it. And and they bring all these single people, and they teach some of the worst principles. I mean, it just totally sounds like what we talked about earlier. People who are worldly, and they're bringing it into the church. Mm -hmm. And that is not God's plan. Now, there's a way that we can fix this. In the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Do you agree with that? Okay, let me put a balance to it on, especially for those of you who are uh, presently single and maybe you're courting, or even if you're married and you're going through problems and you're going to seek counseling, I want to give you this. Go to Psalms 119. I want you to look at this very carefully. Psalms 119, and I want you to consider verse 24, and I want you to watch this verse very carefully. In Psalms 119 and verse 24, here's what the text says. So Alex, well, once mm-hmm. you find that, if you can read that, please. Psalms 119 and verse 24. Now, watch this. Go ahead.
0: Thy testimonies also are my delight and my counselors.
1: Now, notice that. In the multitude of counselors, there's safety. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. What did we just read our counselors to us? Mm-hmm. It says, thy testimonies are my delight and my counselor. You know what the Bible is actually called? You know another word for the Bible? The Testimonies. Okay to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, because there's no light in them. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit or the gift of prophecy, which was given to Isaiah, which was given to Jeremiah, which was given to Daniel and Peter and James. Any human counselor you talk to, listen to these words very carefully. The only human counselors that you should receive counsel from are human counselors who are subject to the counselors. Do you understand that? We don't care and we don't need anybody telling us how to run our marriages and our lives because they got some certificate from ABC school. If they're learning worldliness even from a school, that will do us no good. So sometimes we need to worry a little bit less about the certification and look more about the subjection of the individual. Do you subject your mind to God's counselors, which is his word, his testimonies? Are you going to give me worldly counsel, or are you going to give me inspired counsel? You understand that difference? So in the multitude of counselors, there is safety as long as those counselors are subject to the scriptures. They're giving counsel according to the word of God. Always remember it was a multitude of counselors that killed Jesus. Always remember that. The Bible literally says those counselors came together. They took counsel and said, it is better for one man to die than for the rest of the nation to suffer. suffer. That was worldly, ungodly counsel, even though it was a whole bunch of ministers that were counseling. You understand that? So the key is, is always remember, when you seek counseling to deal with the subject of sexual relations, preparing to go into marriage or to revamp the marriage, it is imperative that you talk to counselors that are subject to the inspired words of God. Mm -hmm. However... There are many good counselors that don't talk about sex. So you know what the problem is? Did you see those statistics? How many of you were here for Sabbath school? Okay. For those of us who were here for Sabbath school, Brother Mike Carducci showed an alarming statistic of how many women and men have indulged in pornography. It's an alarming number. I mean, it's almost like one out of every three, or you know, you got 80% of guys, up almost 90% of guys that have been exposed to it. Now, here's the problem. If the great grand majority, majority of us have been exposed to pornography, which is perversions on the highest levels, then we are planning to get married and then go into marriage, and our counselors never talk about sex. Do you know what that means? That means that probably nine times out of 10, 99.9% of the time, we are going to bring the world of pornography into our marriage. And if that wife or that husband is uncomfortable with certain practices and things that we are demanding to be done because of our false education on sexual relations, then it opens the door wide for infidelity. Mm -hmm. You understand that? This is the reason why sex education must be given to the people of God. A counselor should never counsel with people preparing them for marriage and not talk about sex because there are certain perversions that do not need to enter into the new life. There are things that we have learned through pornography and this filthy world that we are not to bring in and subject our brides to or to subject your husbands to. So infidelity, unfortunately, is a major reason why a lot of people are falling into sexual sin because they never dealt with these demons, even though they might have gone through counseling. Do you understand that? It's a major issue, but it's not just that. In addition to that, hun, go ahead and read this next one for us. Money.
0: Everything from different spending habits and financial goals to one spouse making consider- considerably more money than the other causes a, a power struggle, constrain a marriage to the breaking point. Money really touches everything. It impacts people's lives, says Emmett Burns, brand marketing director of SunTrust. Clearly, money and stress do seem to go hand in hand for many couples.
1: We know for sure that, sadly, when there's mismanagement of money, and you know, you can't live off of love, folks. (laughs) You know, we all have to definitely think about spending sooner or later. And sometimes those hardships that come from poor money management, uh, lack of budgeting, And these type of things ultimately produces an atmosphere and an environment of contention, and then eventually it can even lead, unfortunately, to things like divorce. Now, it's not just money, but how about this one?
0: Constant arguing. From bickering about chores to arguing about the kids, incessant arguing kills many relationships. Couples who seem to keep having the same argument over again often do so because they feel they're not being heard or appreciated. Many find it hard to see the other person's point of view, which leads to a lot of arguments without ever coming to a resolution. And that's what we talked about this morning.
1: That's right. And remember, what did we learn foundationally is the only reason why we end up in all these arguments in our home. Pride. 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 Remember that? Pride. Only pride is that thing that ultimately produces these contentions. So someone is being proud. And again, these are issues. So constant arguing. It's kind of like you can almost look at your life. You know, if we see infidelity in the picture, we know where this is headed if it's not checked. Obviously, if we see a poor money management, that's another thing you got to consider. You know, I always say, woe be unto the man. And my wife says it vice versa to the woman. Mm -hmm. When the man makes a decision to say he wants to marry my daughter, I'm like, brother, you sure you want to do this? You know, it's like, you know, because I'm going to have to take him on a boat. We're going to go on a lake somewhere, like where he just can't go anywhere. We're going to be in the middle of a bed of water, and I'm going to totally privately investigate him. And I'm going to make sure that he has his stuff buttoned up together because it's like there's no way I'm handing my child over to you unless I know that I can be confident that you are going to be the house band. you are going to bind that woman to your heart, to God's heart, and all the children that will come through because there's too much confusion in our homes right now. And so we find that that's what I'm going to do to the women. And, and I, I double woe to the brothers because, you know, my wife, she has, you see that smile? She has a beautiful smile, doesn't she? But you don't understand. She got a bite. And if when she meets that guy, you know, who, who says, can I marry your daughters or whatever, or meets that girl who says that she wants to be, you know, one of my boys' wives, my wife's going to have to put her on a boat and probably take her on a lake, too, or something like that. No, you know, I'm
0: not going to put her on a boat, but we'll talk. I, sure.
1: like boat, I like the boat. I like the boat. You can't go anywhere. You, you, and, and I hope they don't know how to swim. It's like, <laughs> let's go on the boat. You can't go anywhere. We're going to talk. Um. We're going to have real talk. You can't go anywhere. And and we're going to scrutinize this. But the bottom line is is that we don't want to fall into these traps, constant arguing and all these things. There's a need for deeper investigation about the ones of whom we are choosing to be married to, or if you're in marriage, you gotta watch out for the red lights. The things that are clearly showing you, hey, danger, 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 we're running into trouble. But it's not just that. So we got infidelity, we have money management issues, we have constant arguing, how about this one?
0: Unrealistic expectations. This is huge. (laughs) It's easy to go into a marriage with lofty expectations, expecting your spouse and the marriage to live up to your image of what they should be. These expectations can put a lot of strain on the other person, leaving you feeling let down and, let it, and setting your spouse up for failure.
1: This is a major mm-hmm. issue. Were you going to say something on that? No, well, go ahead. All right. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying, this is something that we have to consider because a lot of times we create this Mr. Romeo, and and, you know, we we set these images up in our head. um, This is what he will be, or this is what she will be to me. And the expectations, many a times, are totally unrealistic. Totally unrealistic. And as a result of these individuals not meeting our expectations, we will find ourselves in a very frustrated marriage. Mm -hmm. Again, in the beginning of the marriage, probably nine times, you know, majority of the times, it's beautiful because, again, you you know, you're going you're gonna to get a lot of those thrills out if you've been holding yourself back. If you've been holding yourself back, you're going to get a lot of those thrills out. But again, sooner or later, and any of us who have been married for a long period of time, there has to be something more than just those physical thrills and what have you to really cause that marriage, as Brother Carducci said, you know, the glue that really keeps us together. It has to be more than just some of the physical things. So again, these are some of those issues. Unrealistic. And we're going to talk about perhaps the most major unrealistic expectations that we put on each other in marriage that's literally a formula for failure. We're actually gonna show you that. So these are things that we gotta pay attention Mm -hmm. to. One more.
0: Abuse. Physical or emotional abuse is a sad reality for some couples. It doesn't always stem from the abuser being a bad person. Deep emotional issues are usually to blame. Regardless of the reason, no one should tolerate abuse and be removing your. and be removing yourself from the relationship safely is important.
1: Amen. Mm-hmm. So these are just a few things. There was actually top ten reasons. We just pulled out five. But these are like, you know, the top ten things of what we're seeing that's causing a lot of divorce in our country and let alone the world at large. Obviously, God does not call us for divorcement. But these are things that unfortunately can happen. So he wants us to do something about it beforehand. So again, to those of us who are preparing for marriage, you really want to watch out for some of these things we just talked about. If you got a cheating boyfriend, you more than likely will have a cheating husband. You know, God wants to give you enough wisdom to pay attention to that. If you got a cheating girlfriend, you more than likely are going to have a cheating wife. So these are things you want to pay attention to. You want to watch out for those signs of perversions. You want to ask those, those hard questions. If you're really getting ready to marry that individual, you want to ask them, what is your concept of acceptable sexual relations? Mm-hmm. What is not? What are some of those things that you might have been exposed to? How has God given you victory over that? Mm-hmm. You want to start asking some of those serious, rough questions because once you're in marriage, you're in. And even though we got abuse up there, abuse, though it may very well require a separation in the word of God, that is not permissible for divorce. The Bible is very clear in Matthew chapter 19, Matthew chapter 5, that the only reason for divorce is infidelity. So even when you're in an abusive relationship, God, again, he does not want us to necessarily stay in the physical environment, but he does not permit us to even divorce for such a situation as that. Now, let's take a look at the blueprint. Let's take a look at the blueprint. What is the foundation, then, for a happy marriage? Jesus prophesied, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. In the days of Noah, the marriages were very corrupt. They were corrupt because they were built on very false and weak foundations. Jesus says, before he comes, so it shall be in the marriages. Today, not one in 100 marriages are happy. A lot of people feel like prisoners. That was never God's plan. My wife and I, when we were doing a meeting in, in, in a, a certain state, I'll leave it there, mm-hmm. when we were doing a meeting there, there was a, a, a people who had problems with their husbands. Mm-hmm. And there was a man who was cheating on his wife. And when that man was cheating on his wife, do you remember what the wife said to you?
0: She said a lot of things, but um, What was he- that, that
1: alarming statement that she said that we, we, had, to, we had to check that?
0: In reference to what, I when know. When the husband was cheating. I know, but yeah. I was thinking she was willing to forgive him. Even that was the so, good part. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm not sure.
1: But what was the shocking part that she said about men in general? Do you remember?
0: Oh, that it's common.
1: Not only was it common, but what was her they attitude did, like?
0: Like it was nonchalant. Like this is normal. At yeah. least, you know, I've, I've even heard in the past years, at least when he, he comes home to me.
1: As and long as he comes home to me. I, I Even just, though he's cheating and messing right. around, but as long as he comes home to me.
0: Or lusting after other women. As long as he doesn't touch them, you know, and he comes home to me. This is, this is what I was exposed to as a young woman with women in the church that were saying this to my ears. Yep. So
1: And so what do you think she did with the standard for her man? Did she lower it or did she heighten it? She lowered it. You understand that? And this is what a lot of sisters do today. So when, when men begin to demonstrate, you know, lack of self-control... A lot of times, the woman may have trained her mind to say, well, that's just how brothers are, so I guess I just, you know, we deal with it. We roll with it. No. How much the more if you're a man of God? No, thank you. That is not acceptable. You understand that? Keep your standard high. Mm -hmm. Now, let's look how high it is. Let's go to Genesis chapter 1. I want you to watch this. Genesis chapter 1. I wish there was more biblical counseling, counseling rather than all this philosophical counseling that a lot of people do. We need to go to the Word of God. We need to let God be our guide. In Genesis chapter 1, you'll remember that the Bible said something beautiful about man, right? First and foremost, it said in verse 26, when God made man, it said, let us make man in what?
0: Our image.
1: Our image and after what? Our likeness. Our likeness. So man was made in the image and likeness of God himself. Is that right? Now, I want you to watch this. Look at chapter 2 and look at verse 18. What did God say in chapter 2 and verse 18? This this is a crucial point when we're thinking about foundations for a happy marriage. Man was made in the image and likeness of God, so God and man had a beautiful union with each other. Now in Genesis 2 and verse 18, what does God say? God says what? It is not good for what? It is not good for man to be what? Alone, And therefore, what did God say he's going to do about it? I'm going to make him a help me. Now, I want you to think about this with me. It is not good for man to be alone. Question. Was Adam alone or was Adam lonely? He was alone. That's what God said. Adam was alone. And as a result of him being alone, what did God provide for him? A help meet. So notice, was Adam lonely? No, he was not. What is the difference between being alone and lonely? Okay, one is how you feel another is a fact. Or we could say one is a physical condition and the other one is an emotional condition. You understand that? If I'm alone, that's just a physical condition. I'm just by myself. But I'm emotionally stable. You understand that? I'm emotionally stable. But when a person is lonely, they can be surrounded by a thousand people. But emotionally, they're not stable. They still feel something's missing. Loneliness is not a reason to get married. You don't read that in scripture. Amen. Mm-hmm. Loneliness is not a reason to get married, <laughs> and a lot of people don't understand because a lot of times, and this, you know, where this is especially true. This is not only true with single people. This is especially true with widows and widowers, individuals who had spouses die, and then they get to a place and say, "Man, I got so used to having somebody around, mm-hmm. and now that they're dead, I'm lonely." I need to find another wife. That is not the Eden model. That is not the Eden model. That is setting yourself up for a major fall. And so we want to make it clear, number one, the foundation for a happy marriage is not to move forward in one because you're lonely. You should be able to move forward in one because of a totally different reason. Does anybody know what the word help meet means? Speaking of a helper, but they're helping them to do what? Say again. They're helping them fulfill the purpose that God has made them for. Very good. You are helping me meet the purpose that God made me for. That is a very good reason to get married, which means that before you get married, you should know what God made you for. Do you know how many people get married and they have no clue why they even exist? They don't understand the unique purpose of life. They don't understand the absolute reason that God has called them for. I read a little book called Education, page 267, and it says, the specific place that God has appointed us in this life will be determined by our capabilities. I thought to myself, I said, wait a minute, God has a specific place for me in this life? You should know that before you get married. Adam knew that. Adam understood. I'm talking about the Eden model. In the Eden model, Adam was a whole man. Ooh, that brings up another point. (laughs) What is it that people often call you when they meet me? If if they meet Brother Lemon, but they never met my bride, Alexandra, then when they meet Alexandra, they say, oh, this must be your what? Better half. Not even other half, but it's always better. Better half. (laughs) Better half. Do you know that that is worldly foolishness? Adam was mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally sound. Mm-hmm. That brother was whole. Eve was mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally sound. She was whole. It was two whole people that came together in wholeness and holiness. There's no such thing as. Better halves, worse halves, or halves of any kind. You meet guys that say, my wife completes me. Mm -hmm. That's a problem. You should have been complete before you got married. Now, let me put it to you this way. Look at this. I want you to look at this point from inspiration. In Patriarchs and Prophets, page 45, paragraph 2, man was to bear God's image, both in outward resemblance and in character. Christ alone is the express image of the Father. But man was formed in the likeness of God. His nature was in harmony with the will of God. His mind was capable of comprehending divine things. His affections were pure. His appetites and passions were under the control of reason. He was what? Holy and happy in bearing the image of God and in perfect obedience to his will. Man in his single state was both holy and happy. This is what we should be in our single state before moving forward into a marriage covenant. We're talking about the Eden model. The Eden model. Oh, but it doesn't stop here. Let me show you something else man was. Spiritual gifts, book three, page 34. Watch this. As Adam came forth from the hand of his creator, he was of noble height and of beautiful symmetry. He was more than twice as tall as men now living upon earth and was well proportioned. His features were perfect and beautiful. His complexion was neither white nor sallow, but ruddy, glowing with the rich tint of health. Eve was not quite as tall as Adam. Her head reached a little above his shoulders. She, too, was noble, perfect in symmetry, and very beautiful what else do we see highlighted that Adam and Eve were in their single state? They were healthy. Mankind in Eden, according to the Eden model, before entering into marriage was healthy, happy, and holy. This is an ideal that God sets for every single one of us as we are preparing for marriage. This is foundational. We should be healthy, Do you know how many marriages are messed up or get messed up because somebody's unhealthy? True story. my. How do we say this? Well, Mm -hmm. we're going to keep it very... There was a place that we went, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and there was a wife and a husband that had major issues, and we had to counsel with them. The wife had a condition that she did not properly articulate to her husband. This condition prohibited them from being able to enter into a healthy sexual relationship. As a result of this condition, the husband got frustrated, very frustrated. And when that husband got frustrated, eventually, as a result of lack of self-control, that husband became an adulterer. It was unfortunate that his wife had a condition that she probably had no control over whatsoever. But nevertheless, it deeply impacted their marriage. Do you think that that probably would have been a good discussion to have before entering into marriage? Mm -hmm. That probably would have been something very healthy for them to talk about, to say, listen, this is a condition that I'm facing, and so on and so forth. God's design is that when we enter into a marriage covenant, as much as is practical and as much as is possible, we should do our best to be in as healthy a condition, happy a condition, and holy, a condition prior to entering the marriage covenant so we can foster the best example of what God intended for marriage. This is foundational. But a lot of us have much more shallow reasons for why we enter into a marriage covenant. And so when we talk about foundations for a happy marriage, we're talking about mankind, womankind, getting to a precious place, That we understand that we should be as whole as possible, secure in God, before we move in to the marriage covenant. And this is why we want to talk about three things. Mm -hmm. We're going to talk about the three needs of humanity. The three absolute needs. If these three needs are not in place, you should not get married. There are many Mm -hmm. people that my wife and I have counseled with, and in just a few discussions, If they're counseling with us, we actually have said we don't recommend you get married right now. Again, recommend. You know, we're not God. You can do what you want. But if if you're coming to us, we're not going to lie to you. We're not going to try to present some flowery stuff to you. Because I can point to the right, to my left, to my front, and to my back of how many people we know that have broken, busted, terrible, unhappy, unfulfilling marriages. They are not hard to find. The question is, you know what's hard to find? A couple who truly is happy in every sense of the word. A couple who's experiencing holiness in every sense of the word. That they are both enjoying health one with another, and they're able to expend that health one on another in creating a very whole environment. It's like finding a needle in a haystack. And so there's no way in the world that you're going to come to us. I'm just saying, this, that's a forewarning to anybody who wants to come to us. If you want to come to us to talk about marriage counseling, we don't have a problem with that. But we want people to understand if you're going to come to us, we're going to tell you the truth. And sometimes that truth is, we, we would not recommend that you go forward in marriage. There are some things you need to work on right now. Work on these things first. And then let's come back and let's talk about it.
0: What's more difficult is establishing, not establishing these things and getting married and then having children in the home. (laughs) And that creates a whole situation. And then trying to go back to go forward is very difficult. When you, because typically at the beginning, everything is fine. Even when you have these issues, everything seems okay. And then after a while, maybe after several years, you start. You know, you see things before, but then it really manifests itself. And then when the children are, like, in their teens, and then that's when you really see these problems existing, and you, you think back, and you're like, what's going on? And you have to go back and see. These things weren't laid in the, at the beginning. And trying to have a teenager and setting them, when they're set in their ways, and then dealing with, it, it just creates a problem, so it's actually easier as, as hard as this sounds, when you think about, you know, you finally meet someone that you are attracted to and you love and the characters, it's easier to say no and wait than to get married and to deal with all these issues.
1: That's right. And, mm-hmm. and again, it's, it's almost the height of selfishness. It is. Because as we talked about earlier, we, we get married anyhow because we want what we want. We understand that. But we bring innocent people into the picture. And they're called children. If you want to be confused, you be confused. But don't bring an innocent child into that mess. Because that child does not deserve that. That child is supposed to have clarity in their home. Do you know how strange it is when the wife wants to keep Sabbath and the husband doesn't? That's a strange thing. That's like, what's up with that? Hold up, wait a minute. The wife wants to have family worship, but the husband doesn't? The husband wants to create a home atmosphere where the food that we put inside of our bodies produces health so we can have strong, clear minds so we can understand God when he speaks. The other person is a glutton and says, I just want to eat what I want to eat. That becomes a major problem in homes. And this is what's happening in a lot of homes. And we don't understand the pain that it causes. And then the children are going like this. And they're looking left. And they're looking right, and they're saying, okay, you're saying one thing, you're saying another. You're living one thing, and you're living another. My brothers and sisters, that's not not what God planned for you. I could tell you right now without even knowing any of your situation. If you and the person you are considering to marry, if you are not in one accord in what the word of God says and are seeking to live in harmony with what the word of God says, you have no business getting married right now you have no business getting married right now. You're gonna hurt not only each other, you're gonna hurt those precious innocent beings that did not ask to come into this world and did not ask to be brought into an environment of confusion. The husband and the wife are to represent God to those children. And it is imperative that the husband and the wife are united in thought, feeling, and actions. So, What are these three needs? These three absolute essential needs. Every human needs these three things in their lives. What are these three things, honey? Um,
0: Love. That's one. To, To know that somebody is unconditionally committed to our best interest.
1: So notice that. The first need is what? Love. Love. And the context of that is knowing that someone is unconditionally interested in that which is best for us. Mm -hmm. Love, what is the second one?
0: Significance. Go ahead. To know that our lives have meaning and purpose. Mm -hmm.
1: Significance, knowing that our lives have meaning and purpose. Every human being has these needs. Love, having an unconditional care towards us for the best for us. Significance, knowing that our lives have purpose. What is the third thing on the list?
0: Security, to be accepted and have a sense of belonging.
1: To be accepted and have a sense of belonging. Would you agree that everybody needs these three things? Mm -hmm. Everybody needs love. Everybody needs a sense of significance. Everybody needs security. Would you call these legitimate needs? You would call it legitimate needs? Yes? You know what's deep? These are legitimate needs, but nine times out of ten, we seek them to be fulfilled illegitimately. Mm -hmm. Isn't that deep? These are three very legitimate needs. We need love. We need significance. And we need security. The problem is that these legitimate needs, we are always seeking them illegitimately. And you know how we do it? by putting our expectations on our spouses or soon-to-be spouses to fulfill those needs for us. Do you know God's intention was that he and he alone would be the primary source to fulfill those needs for you? One of the greatest challenges in marriages today, because of being built on false foundations, Mm -hmm. is... We seek unconditional love from our spouses. We seek our significance from our spouses. And we seek security from our spouses. And if our spouses are disconnected from God, and they do not provide these things for us, it creates an atmosphere that we will begin looking for these things other places, or harboring such bitterness, anger, and resentment that it causes constant arguing, or it will get us to a place that we become so estranged that we don't even know how to communicate with our spouses anymore because they're not, quote-unquote, meeting our needs. It's very, it creates a toxic environment. And this is the reason why. We're going to put it in different terms. What I'm going to do is I'm going to put it in these terms of of the letter A. So if you do it by letter A, we're going to call love adoration, we're going to call significance affirmation, and we're going to call security acceptance. These are the things that we are desperately seeking God and need God to provide to us. If you are not, and I counseled with a gentleman a few weeks ago, and he's in a courtship, And he wanted to ask me about this, that, and the other. And I said, My brother, I said, Have you made God your sole source of love, significance, and security? He said, One out of the three I have done. And my recommendation do not get married until God becomes all three to you. Because if you don't, and if you move forward and get married anyhow, you're going to put that legitimate need illegitimately on the person you want to marry, and that's like a crushing weight. That's like a crushing weight on a man's back. You're putting an expectation on your spouse that your spouse should never have been obligated to fulfill that expectation. Here's the key. We use the extension cord. Right. Mm-hmm. In the extension cord example, a husband and a wife are to be an extension... Of God's love, affirmation, and acceptance to our spouses. We are to be an extension of God's love to each other. But an extension cord in and of itself has no power. The extension cord has to be plugged into the power source. So the husband, it's not that the husband and the wife are not to demonstrate love, significance, and security to each other, but we are extensions. God is the source. Okay, very good. We are the extension, but God is the power source. Now, is it possible that a husband or wife at some times in marriage may be disconnected from God? Is that possible? Oh, yeah, that's possible, isn't it? So the question is, what are you going to do? In other words, when a husband and wife are connected, Mm -hmm. man, it's like heaven on earth. I mean, you know, we're enjoying each other, we're laughing, we're doing all sorts of things, and life is just fantastic, but then all it takes is my wife or myself neglecting devotions, neglecting our communion with God. When babies come in, it's very easy for your communion to start getting weaker with the Lord. Your prayer time. Brothers start saying, oh man, you got a baby? Oh, you got another baby? Hold up, another baby? And then after a while, brothers are like, you know what? Uh, This job that I have right now is not cutting it. So either I need to get another job or I'm going to quit this job and I'm going to go ahead and start a business. I'm going to do something where maybe I was already struggling maintaining my communion with God, but now because I got to pay the bills and take care of the children and the family, I'm going to work myself so hard that I'm going to neglect my devotional time even more. Is this real talk? And then what happens is, We create an atmosphere where sometimes husband, wife, both are disconnected. But do we still have those legitimate needs? Mm -hmm. Yes. The chief person to supply those needs are God. But if we don't let God supply those needs and if we put that weight on each other, when we're disconnected, that is a formula for strife in a household. This is why... To those single brothers and sisters, we highly, highly encourage, please, before you get married, you make sure that you are established in God's love, that you know your significance through Christ, and your security is in him. Even when wife starts doing some strange things, even when husband starts doing some strange things, you will never lower yourself. You will never allow yourself to be demeaned because you know where your love, significance, and security comes from. But if you don't know where that comes from, we can set ourselves up for a terrible, terrible fall. In these last few minutes, let's go ahead and do some practical steps with this. Number one, how can we help establish ourselves in God's love, knowing that he adores us? What are some steps that we can do? Number one, In Jeremiah 31, in verse 3, the Bible says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I like that. It's a love that doesn't end. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. One of the reasons why sometimes this verse is not enough is because for some of us, God is still a fictitious character that exists in our mind. In other words, he's not very real to us. But if you really do believe in God, if you really believe in his existence, then God lets us know that we should be completely satisfied in knowing that the creator and the master of the universe has promised to love me with an everlasting love. This love is not based on what you do. That's sweet. The love that God has towards us is a love that is not based on what you do. The reason we know that is because Romans 5, verse 8, it says, while we were yet sinners, God loved us. It says in verse 10, while we were yet enemies, God loved us. Now, if I'm a flat-out bona fide sinner and enemy of God, and God says, I still love you, then how much the more does he not love you when you are striving to be obedient to him, though you may fall sometimes? It makes no sense to suddenly say, well, he doesn't love me anymore because I was was trying to live right for him, but I fell. It's like, hold up, that that contradicts scripture. While we were living in flat-out sin, he loved us. So certainly he loves you that much the more when you are striving to live in harmony with him. So what are some things that we can do to help build this in us? Number one, study how he loved others. Study how he pursues the erring soul. Study how he treated others when they hurt him. Study his dependence on the Father. Jesus was totally dependent on the Father. Lord, teach me to be dependent like that. Study his compassion on the weak. Study his study life. Study his prayer life. Study his sacrifice for you personally. If you keep these things in front of you, They are all lessons of God's love towards you. And these things will help keep you in those moments when you start feeling like nobody loves me. We will remember John 16, 27, your father in heaven loves you. You must become settled that if nobody else loves me, I know God loves me. And that is enough. And the more that you and I become settled in that, you will know how to love even an unlovable spouse. When you're secure in God's love, you know how to love even an unlovable spouse. That's what God is looking for. And he's not just looking for men to do it, he's looking for women to do it. Remember the story of Abigail and Nabal? The Bible says Nabal was a fool, but Abigail loved that brother enough. Abigail could have said, wait a minute, this brother's a fool, and I don't like him, and I don't love him. Wow, David's coming to kill him. The word of God allows me to remarry after my husband's dead. She could have said, David's coming? Well, let me step out the way, David. (laughs) David just, you know, she could have just said, David, more power to you. There was only one thing that made Abigail do what she did. Abigail risked her life to stop David in pursuit and speak to the king in him that he would not kill her husband. Abigail was a symbol of Jesus, a man who's totally worthy of condemnation, but instead she wants to extend mercy to him. So please, wives, don't think for a moment that God is just calling the husband to love the wife. God wants you to love your husband. God wants you to be so secure in his love that you can be loving even when he's not. That's what happens when you're secure in God's love. Not only that, affirm your significance in Christ. My brothers and sisters, these are all beautiful texts. Isaiah 43 and verse 1 tells us very clearly, you are mine. That's what God says. He says, you are mine. In Psalms 139, 13 and 14, God says you are uniquely made. You're not just like another creation. You're so incredibly special that the words that are used is that you're fearfully and wonderfully made. Not only that, we are part of a royal family. For the Bible says that we are a chosen generation and a royal priesthood, a peculiar people and an holy nation. Not only that, in Ezekiel 16, 4 through 8, God walks through the story of how he saved Israel. And God says, when you were laying on the street, with blood all over you, and your umbilical cord wasn't even cut, and everybody else walked by you in disgust. God says, when I, when I walked by you, God says, it was the time for love. And God says, and I chose you, and I made you mine. God wants you and I to understand that we are significant. You are God's child. You are a part of the royal family. You are uniquely made. When no one else wanted you, the creator of the universe said, You are mine. Your significance is to be found in him. This includes when you gain weight after marriage and you don't have your nice figure anymore. This includes when you get into a car accident and your face gets disfigured. This includes when you go through a disease and your body never or your face never looks the same anymore or maybe even your mind doesn't function as sharp as it used to where humanity will begin to treat you different. God says, you're still special to me. You're still significant to me. You're still precious to me. We must learn to find our significance in Christ. But not only our love should be found in him, not only our significance, but finally, our security. Establish your security and acceptance in Christ. Establish it, family. Establish your security and acceptance in Christ. Notice this. In Hebrews 13 and verse 5, God says, I have loved you. No, forgive me. In Hebrews 13 and verse 5, he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. God makes it clear when everybody else might abandon you, God says, I'll never abandon you. I'll never set you aside. He says, I will always be your security. I will protect you. I will watch over you. I will keep you. I would like for you to study the book, Steps to Christ. And when you study Steps to Christ, study the chapter, Faith and Acceptance. Study it. Study it. Know that you can have security in Christ, that when you surrender your heart to him, you are accepted into the beloved. I believe with all of my heart, my brothers and sisters, and I know my wife can attest, show me a man and show me a woman that has God as their sole source of love, significance, and security. You would have met a very stable man and a very stable woman mentally, physically, spiritually, and emotionally. And they are the ones that are best prepared to lavish someone else with love, because they're plugged right into the right power source. And this is the foundation for a happy marriage. Follow the Eden model. Follow the way that God designed it from the beginning. Not because we're lonely, but if we're alone and there's a calling God has placed in our life and we're clear on it, and if we realize, Lord, for me to fulfill this calling, I'm going to need a partner in this work, the Lord will provide a help meet for you. And when you both come together, you're not halves, you're whole. You have found your love, significance, and security in Jesus. She has found her love, significance, and security in Christ. And that creates an environment to produce some very happy babies, some very happy children. Children who can grow up in a a sound home where they have seen a demonstration of Jesus in the household. And I believe with all of my heart that if we can set this foundation straight, a lot of the other problems in life will be that much more easy to handle. I say this both to those of you who are preparing for marriage, but we also are saying it to those who are married. And in our next session, the reason why we entitled it When You Mess Up, How Do You Fix Up is because we didn't know these principles, we didn't understand these principles. And so therefore, what did my wife do? She put expectations on me that she should never have done that. What did I do to my bride? I put expectations on her that I never should have done that. And it caused pain and it caused scars. Oh yes, the Lord has healed and is continuing to heal even more and still more. But God wants to say to each and every one of us, especially those of us preparing for marriage, he says, how about you don't go through this? how about you do it better than other people have started? And that's one of the privileges that my wife and I get to share with you. Question. Do we understand session one on the foundations for a happy marriage? Do we understand it? Do we understand it, really? Are you willing to comply with it? Are you willing to comply? Ezekiel talked about a group of folks who loved to hear Ezekiel preach. But Ezekiel said, but they will not do, the words that Ezekiel says. My brothers and sisters, with as much respect as I can say it, I care not about your thoughts on the accuracy and power of the presentations or any of that. The question is, will you live this? God wants your home to be happy. He really, one thing I have discovered in Scripture is God really wants us to be happy. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of sad ventists. A lot of God's people are miserable. And we just drench ourselves in work and activities to just, you know, do things that can just block our miseries out. And then we go into some of those dark indulgences like Brother Mike talked about earlier and all this. God says, y'all don't have to do that. The Lord says he has a better plan. And so what we're going to do is we're going to bow our heads for a word of prayer, and we're just going to go ahead and ask the Lord to help us to take to heart these things. And I want to encourage you to go home and and study these things out tonight when this whole weekend is over, that you study these things out and you consider carefully what the Lord has to say. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we want to thank you for the blessings that we have received. We thank you so much for the wonderful words of life that you've shared. We praise you, dear God, for the foundations that you have given to us that we can have a happy marriage. If we can let you be our source for love, significance, and security, Lord, I believe that you have prepared the way to establish a very happy home. And I pray, dear God, that you will do this for every married couple under the sound of my voice, and especially do it for those who are